If we really want to be serious about equity, workforce development, and generally hope for the future of our country, it should all start with early childhood education. You'll hear from CEO William Browning how Clayton Early Learning in Denver is leading a charge to provide hope for children, their families, and educators, and create valuable generational outcomes that will ripple across Colorado and the nation on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I'm excited to share a conversation with William Browning, CEO of Clayton Early Learning in Denver. With 30 years in the private, public, entrepreneurial, and nonprofit sectors, William thrives on helping others succeed and solving complex problems, which makes him a perfect fit for Clayton Early Learning. William previously served as the Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer for United Way Worldwide, heard of him, and before that, as the Chief Strategy Officer for Mile High United Way, heard of them too, where he he provided leadership in designing and advancing new community impact and business model solutions. As the founder and CEO of Rebound Solutions, a successful Denver-based consulting firm, he designed and led significant systems improvement projects, including the transformation of Colorado's benefits management system and the state's first quality management system for early childhood education. Can't wait to hear more about that. William has an executive master's degree in coaching and consulting for change from HEC University, as well as a BA in English from the University of New Mexico, Go Lobos. He was selected and attended the exclusive University of Oxford Strategic Leadership Program, and he completed the Corporate Social Responsibility Executive Program through the University of Colorado at Denver, and recently completed the Disruptive Strategy Session through Harvard Business School to make us all feel like slackers. William, welcome, and thank you for being here. Uh, thank you very much. And introduction and bio is way too kind, but I appreciate the uh, the kind words. You know, tell me how you would describe Clayton Early Learning to somebody that doesn't know anything about it. Yeah, you know, I think we're a beacon of hope for the community. I, we're, uh, I always say we're in the equity business. Uh, there's nothing more special than seeing the the kids come into the school uh, and really thrive here. So. If, I, if you're new to Clayton, what I would say is we we serve about 500 uh, families around the Denver metro area that are in the lower income bracket, and we provide high quality uh, early child education for them. But it's not just that. We provide wraparound services that uh, help with the mental health, uh, dental care, physical health. We help the parents find uh, uh, benefits and other uh, uh, things like housing and shelter, uh, free food with our market. And then on top of that, on top of this whole ecosystem of love around the children and the families uh, is an ecosystem that's designed to help provide research for the early childhood education field, to help understand how we treat our uh, and advocate for our teachers and improve how they deliver in the classroom, to really making sure that we're uh, uh, a lighthouse on the shore for the early childhood education field in terms of kind of pointing the way in terms of how to deliver high quality uh, education for uh, our families um, in a really um, thoughtful, um, scalable way. That's how I'd envision it. I, I mean, I always call it like a village of hope and in uh, uh, love as far as how we treat our, and grow and support our families. That's so cool because it goes far beyond just a place to drop your kids where they learn their ABCs. And when you talk about early childhood education, kind of give me the ages that the, that means for somebody who doesn't know. 
Yeah, early child education is usually under the age of five. So there's okay. we operate two kind of uh, segmented programs here. We have the infant and toddler to three years of age, and then we have three to five years of preschool. So if you walk our walk our halls, which I try to do at least twice a day, uh, you'll see everything from the you know the little ones uh, uh, hanging out as far as toddling around, and you'll see the uh, the the preschool kids outside playing or uh, you know doing their educational activities. Well, I love that you call it a, a, a beacon of hope for the community. So, talk a little bit about a little bit more about that. How it's more than just providing education to the kids and and how you service the whole family. Well, I think that's right. It's a whole child, whole family approach. And I think what we're looking at is, you know, Clayton's interesting and unique because it sits on a 20 acre plus campus uh, here in Denver. So we're sitting on prime real estate that really could be transformative in terms of providing services for the family. So for example, we're looking at uh, uh, what well, we have right now an operational market, which provides free food to the families uh, in need. Awesome. So, they, so they can come to the grocery store uh, once a week and load up on uh, highly nutritious uh, meals, not just canned food, but really good fresh food, uh, fresh fruit, fresh meat. And then we have other services we're looking at. How do you integrate services that mental health? So we have a mental health provider for Latino uh, bilingual families moving into the campus next month. We have uh, a great firm that that focuses on uh, a nonprofit that focuses on disability and dis- uh, development delay. Uh, we have Reach Out and Read, which really provide which provides books and reading material for kids. And so what we're looking at is really advancing a much more aggressive view of how do we really service the Denver community? And we've listened to the Denver community in the last summer. We've spent a, a pretty significant amount of time and resources on uh, assessing, understanding what's the community need here. The things we came up with were uh, not surprising. In Denver, uh, affordable housing is a is a major problem. Huge uh, access to mental health, access to regular health, uh, access to dental care, uh, financial support, literacy. So there's big questions we're asking at Clayton. Is it you know should we be looking at affordable housing with uh, our campus? Should we be looking at ways to help interesting financial literacy. Are there ways to really think about how to transform this campus to be a a model for the country in terms of early child education? Do we, do we think about, you know, again, with affordable housing, do we, we dream about providing our educators, uh, uh, affordable housing on campus that allows them to, you know, have a more, uh, uh, um, uh, viable uh, lifestyle. I mean, we, we don't value the educators enough in my opinion, and that's, something we're fighting for from the public policy and advocacy side, which is another asset that Clayton actually brings to bear in the marketplace today. That's awesome. As a father of an elementary educator, I could not um, tell me how I sign up to help with that because they are the most undervalued profession. Um, And, you know, the bedrock of our society, which it feels like that's kind of what Clayton is doing is, yeah. is so much more than just a, a learning center. It's, yeah. it's a, a com, you know, you're elevating the whole community. That's right. And I think, uh, you know, I'll just tell a story about one of our, our parents. Cause I think that's where, you know, your story really matters. So yeah. to kind of illustrate this. So we have a, a single mother who comes to us um, last month. She's got three kids, one, two of them under the age of five. She's homeless. Uh, you know, her mother has just, uh, you know, she's been evicted out of her mother's apartment because her mother was convicted for 20 years in prison. Oh, geez. Uh, so she doesn't have clothing for the children. She has no place to go. Her car is damaged. Uh, so within two weeks of her being uh, enrolled at Clayton, her kids are accessing high quality childcare. She is found, we found her shelter at one of our, our partner NGO operations. 
We've fixed her car. We've got her clothes for her kids. We put her on all kinds of the federal and state benefits that she needs is eligible for and should be taken and taken advantage of. And now she's moving from survival to a little bit more toward the thriving, thriving side. She's in a career nice. placement program. She's getting educated. Her kids are in good shape. And so it's it's more than just, um, you know, like you said, just a drop off. It's really the whole family. How do we wow. move these families? Uh, and, you know, it's an equity business, right? How do we provide equity? Yeah. For this, you know, equity for the kids, equity for the family and equity for the educators is really our three, our big three spheres of, of driving equity in the organization. Uh, so it's, it's remarkable. So talk to a little bit about how valuable it can be and what are the short term and long term impacts when kids can receive a high quality early childhood education. Well, people may not realize it, but you know, the first five years of brain development are pretty profound for a child. So the the ability for a child to have exposure toward uh, uh, learning environments is is absolutely critical from a mental, from a from an yeah. academic and a social development side. So right. both short term and long term, what you see is that if you really try to shoot shoot for the larger goal, which is that kids are able by third grade to be able to read to learn. Um, so the first, you know, for their first. Right. First five seven years, they're really uh, trying to figure out how to get them to uh, to read, mm-hmm. uh, learn learn to read, and then shift to read to learn. Right. So it's fundamental from a brain science perspective that the you know being able to, to uh, I guess you want to say develop the brain in a way that allows kids to be uh, agile, develop learners. I will say from my own my own personal perspective, the amount of time and energy we put into my own daughter's early child education uh, was fundamental, a game changer. Her ability to read it, you know, by, you know, be prepared mm-hmm. for kindergarten, yep. uh, be at, you know, be socially ready for that, uh, to be comfortable in their own, you know, to understand uh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of these kids are pretty traumatized. Yeah. So having a, a, a trauma informed uh, level of care that we offer, Clayton, also helps really settle down uh, and help to identify and, and build up uh, uh, a resolved developmental delays and other types of mental identification. That goes back to Clayton's wider thing. It's not just a drop off. It's that holistic care for the child. Right. So I think, uh, it, in my mind, the, the both short and long terms, I always say that in early childhood education should be seen as uh, a larger a larger uh, economic issue for the country of the United States and thinking about you're unlocking trillions of dollars of potential workforce development by high right. quality child care, getting people back to work. And it's really about national defense. If you really want strong, educated children, you start them at birth. If you see the most development countries, developed countries in the world have sophisticated, uh, you know, early child care paid for systemically as part of the, uh, you know, start of the, uh, or, uh, uh, the child's life. And we, I argue that America should be spending more federal dollars to actually beef up that capability that this should be, this should be a systemic investment, not a, an investment that the parents have to make, uh, on their own. It should be like K-12 education, frankly. Could not agree more. And I mean, especially when you talk about, you know, big buzzword is, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. How, how, how much bigger of an equity can you be than leveling the playing field through education? That's exactly right. And if you think about it, it's, my ability and my resources for my daughter are significantly different than someone who does not have right. those resources. So right. it, it absolutely is an equitable start. So these kids that we have here, the 500 or so children we're serving, we are looking at them having a, a having that head start, having that fair start, you know, for kindergarten. So they're 
they're not developmentally behind. And, and you know, because then you're looking at K-12 system being one that just is remediating and exactly. fixing and trying to get people to catch up. And that's a very expensive business proposition. And I think that's it's, it's an unacceptable business proposition for our kids in this in this community. Yeah. So how are families coming to to be part of the Clayton family? We have a, a significant uh, and sophisticated uh, community family educator group that actually goes and identifies and, and recruits and enrolls uh, the families awesome. in need. So, and there's significant need in, in Colorado. Uh, we do not have uh, uh, sufficient bandwidth to cover all the children that are, that are. Uh, of course not. Needed. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and talk a little bit about that. Where, where do you see Colorado ranking um, in, in the kind of services that, that Clayton yeah. provides? Uh, how do we compare? Yeah, right now we we do Colorado ranks 39th out of 50 in states. Yeah, 39th in state spending, 26th in access to preschool for four-year-olds, and 13th in access for three-year-olds. So, not bad on the three-year-old side. And then I really give uh, Dr. Lisa Roy and, and Governor Jared Polis credit for uh, really advocating for universal pre-K and uh, uh, the Office of Early Childhood uh, Education yeah. as a formal office. So I think in some ways the state is actually leading in terms of, of, of strategy, but still is not necessarily making the right level of investment. But I, I blame, I really don't blame the state. You know, we're, you're probably talking about a $1.7 billion investment that's needed for early child education in Colorado. That's not going to come from the state. It's got right. to come from the from the from both Republican and Democrats realizing that this is a strategic investment for our future. It's not a it's not a nanny care you know day daycare right. thing. It's 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 actual um, strategic investment for the workforce of the future and for the yeah. gen- future generations. Um, and reducing those people the number of people going into our public safety or public uh, um, you know benefit systems in the future. So it's. For us, it's you know we're advocating for that, and how do you advocate for uh, both sides of the aisle to understand the strategic yeah. importance for this in the future? And I think we're getting closer. Um, I have friends on both sides of the aisle that are starting to get the notion of uh, early investment is is good investment. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting talking to organizations like Denver Scholarship Fund or Colorado Succeeds, where you know they're on the leading edge of, of yeah. improving education and everything else. But it, you know, if you take that back a step, they can only work with the kids that are successfully getting to that point. Yeah. So we really need the pre-K to be able to launch them so they can get there. That's correct. Yeah, and, and I and I applaud the work that Scott and, and, and succeeds and uh, Lori's doing at DFX. They're, at DFX, they're both uh, tremendous leaders, and I think you're absolutely right. You only work with what your founding, you know, foundation yeah. is. So if your foundation is, you know, the the kids that you care about getting the most, that deserve the most equity are the ones that are, you know, require the most remediation in the K-12 right. system. It's right. really, it's really a silly model. Like what I challenge and say, you know, we, we really need to advocate for more investment early and then uh, yeah. get a better plan. It seems like it's flipped a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. Well, you helped design the state's first quality management system <laughs> for early ed. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. What, Quality management for early childhood education, you know, we've got universal pre-K coming up, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, I was, I was fortunate to, to, to help with uh, the early inception days of, you know, we, we were able to win the race of top grants and, and secure some funding. And part of that was building the, 
the Colorado Shine system, which is basically a system that helps rate um, yep. the child care providers for, you know, you know based upon their quality. Mm-hmm. I think that the thing that question really strategically to be asking ourselves post pandemic coming out of this this pretty horrible time in terms of uh, yeah. what, it meant, what it meant for the early child education field, especially the educators where you've seen, you know, 30 to 40% turnover uh, in, the, in, the, in the field, uh, is how do you scale quality uh, in a way that is not, um, I'm gonna say, overly uh, costly or bureaucratic in nature, right. and making sure that the, the designs for high quality are really proven in science and are, uh, I think this notion of how do you scale high quality is really pretty critical. I think of the core of it though is talent, talent, and talent. Yep. Right. No so, question. You know, I think you know. I'll say this: I've seen our teachers at work. You said it before in their interview. The, 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 the amount of work they actually do to control a classroom of twelve toddlers or infants or uh, preschoolers is is tremendous. But we don't value that in our society. We agree. We simply don't put um, our money where our mouth is. So I think if, if I was looking at how to extend quality, it would be much more investment in the workforce and innovations around that, and then figuring out how to scale that. And, and again, back to federal and other types of of, uh, of supports to actually sustain that is going to be critical. Yeah. Well, you've been at this for a while now in, in one form or another. Where does the desire to work in this space really come from for you? Yeah, for me, I think it, it really starts, it started with, you know, being educated in a few years ago when I wrote the, the did the race to top work, I, you know, the strategy side. Mm-hmm. So I'm a strategist by by train. Uh, uh, and and uh, for me, I think it was watching the development of my own daughter and realizing, you know, how, how effective it was for her. Yeah, and how brutally unfair it is for other kids that don't have those access, those resources, and and it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. Like I go back to the mother I talked about before. Like, yeah, those kids had no chance before they got to Clayton. No I mean, chance, really none. I mean, living in the back of a car and, and yeah. uh, um, you know, not it's not it's not it's not real. So for me, my my, and I also think I'm also an entrepreneur and a, a business person, and I look at. This is good business. It's about producing totally. the workforce and the leaders of the future. It is about creating. You talk about diversity. You want diversity of, of a workforce. It's about making sure you're, uh, we are equitable in how we deliver that. And I think it's uh, also I'll say this: what really makes me excited about Clayton is that it's, it's the full potential to really transform in the community. Like it, the, this campus, right. this approach, rethinking the model and really being a leader. You know our our short-term uh, three to five-year strategy, just so you know, as we call it return of the exemplar, which is really how to get Clayton to be a national leader again and how we deliver these services, how we innovate in the workforce, how we rethink uh, models of integration, uh, and how we um, advocate for the betterment of the overall field. Well, and that's exciting because if you think about it with the 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 universal pre-K coming online, it really does present an opportunity for Clayton to be in a true leadership position in Colorado and probably beyond. No, that's correct. That's absolutely right. Exciting. Exciting. Well, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what are some of the leadership lessons you've learned and principles that you've leaned on through your career that are helping you right now with what you're trying to do at Clayton? I think you know I've gone through a journey where I used to be pretty heavy-handed commander type role where you're you know it's you're the 
you know, the white horse leader and sometimes you, you yeah. know, you're, um, and I'm fast and process fast. So you run over people and you kind of get a, um, uh, I don't know, say a reputation for being, uh, aggressive last few years. I think what I've learned is really to step back and empower people. It's entirely about empowering, uh, high performing teams. Right. So it's, it's in, for me, my, you know, my energy comes entirely from, how to motivate someone to achieve a goal, uh, whether they stay within the organization or not is irrelevant. It's about how to get them where they want to go and seeing them motivated to do so. So I think building that high performing team has been one of the critical lessons. So it's less about, I really am the least important person in the organization. If I do my job right, it's, it's about how to empower everybody else. Two, I think it's a, I'm not in the, you know, you know, kill yourself hour, uh, producing hours, it's really producing value. Right. So shifting the mind of our leadership team to say, you're not here to produce 2080 hours a week, you know, a year of hours, right. you're here to produce fundamental value. And those things should correlate. Um, you know, if you can work smart and produce value, that's better than, you know, killing yourself and having yeah. you know, the illusion that we have to be on all the time. And the last thing I think is really about, uh, I had a good, um, had a fantastic, uh, uh, mentor and coach uh, 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 Tony, who was really fundamental about helping with resilience and emotional, uh, really trying to figure out how to be a you know a human being, not a human doing. Really <laughs> looking at uh, you know being tangibly aware of of things, and then really trying to be uh, calm and and uh, uh, introspective and taking time to be you know selfish in terms of my own leadership development, but. Uh, again, uh, in a positive way, really making sure that you're doing self-care, that you're taking the time out to uh, be human. That you know, like I said, I I spend probably an hour of my day intentionally just walking this campus to see see the kids, see the teachers, uh, uh, you know, listen to what their stories are, and 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 exhibit a level of concern and compassion for them in a way that. You know, they don't see me as this. I, I'm at the bottom of the pyramid as far as the CEO. Everybody, <laughs> I, I, I work for everybody else. I'm the least, yeah, least important player. My job is to provide the value for the organization by getting these teams to perform. So that's kind of my long-winded uh, leadership lessons, which, I, which I'll continue to hopefully continue to grow and be curious over the next few years as I um, those uh, are masterclass tips that I think anybody could uh, learn from. And I'm going to go back and re-listen and write all that down. That's fantastic. I mean, um, I, and I, and I, I have to imagine that hour is probably the best hour of your day because there is nothing like the energy of a, of a classroom that's, that's humming. Yeah. They, the kids, uh, they, you know, I start, I'm starting to build relationships with certain children. And so they see you and they come running for a hug or they come running yeah. for a, a fist bump the or they, best. or they wave or they want to show you a toy they've got. It's a, uh, yeah, it is. It's, it, the, it's, it's funny. I don't know about you. Um, the older I get, the more I realize that it's going to be this next generation that takes the lead. And we haven't really mm -hmm. necessarily given them a world that is simple and, you know, thriving. We've given them right. daunting challenges. So I think, giving them a head start to really be capable of able to walk, you know, to be able to take on those tough issues, to be resilient is another reason I think early child education is so critical that, you know, giving them hope for a better future and that they can be empowered leaders and they can be strong and they can, you know, thrive in their life. Cause you know, you and I, we're going to be around 20, 25 more years and, you know, you know, it's the next generation steps yeah. up and I want them to be as strong as possible for, uh, you know, the sake of the sake of our collective humanity. Yeah, that's awesome. So what really gets you excited when you think about the future of Clayton? I think the, the most exciting thing for me right now on the plate is, you know, we've 
we've we've Clayton has its own history, good and bad, for being around from 1889. You know, we we uh, used to be an orphanage that served just uh, exclusively uh, white children, white boys, uh, in a in a historically black neighborhood. And I think uh, I don't think Clayton has done enough in terms of really supporting the community uh, in terms of the larger community as far as uh, uh, being a real positive ally and a force for uh, change here. So I think there's there's conversations in this community about what this campus could provide. So we talk about things like affordable housing or uh, creating a, you know, a, 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 a financial capability to maybe support the community differently or thinking about uh, mental health integration or other services that this larger community could tap into. I think it really becomes a uh, a really exciting potential for us and yeah. a way to, a way, I don't want to say, um, you know, making reparations for the past, but to a degree, it kind of is about recognizing, you know, we're in this yeah. great, we're in this great stage of openness and awareness in America. And I think we're looking at that as well saying, you know, we've got assets and capabilities to be a, uh, to be a different type of organization. How do we embrace that? And how do we really, uh, uh help the larger community thrive, uh, uh, in addition to the services we provide. I think opening this campus is going to be one of my top priorities for the next uh, five years. Well, and it's it's being opportunistic, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we're in the right place at the right time to do this. So let's, we have that the opportunity to step forward. Correct. Yeah, correct. Awesome. Well, we'll change gears just a little bit as we wind down and respect your time. Tell me something that you will listen to, read, or watch today. I'm reading the book, uh, uh, a gentleman in Moscow, which is pretty good uh, fiction. So I'm, you know, doing a little bit of that. Uh, we are signed the book "Compassionate Leadership," which is another read I'll do over Thanksgiving. So it's kind of my two things. On a fun note, I'm watching uh, "White Lotus" on HBO. I love that. Uh, you know, kind of crazy show as far as the indulgence. Um, humans behaving badly. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> fascinating. It's a fascinating take on life because it's you know highly privileged people who are unhappy in paradise, which I think yeah. is a, kind of a classic. Uh, uh, classic uh, story right now in American history. So it's, I'm enjoying true. it. It's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but who would you say has been a real role model uh, in the work you're doing now and throughout your career? Uh, I think um, Paul Pullman he used to be the CEO of Unilever. I've met him a, a couple of times, uh, you know, the ability to trans to leverage business for good. Um uh, my mentor here in Denver, uh, Christine Bonero, who runs Mile High United Way, has yep. been a uh, legend. Uh, yeah, a real force for helping me understand how to really uh, go from the I to the we in terms of, of leadership engagement. And then probably uh, uh, my coach, Tony, who sits over in uh, North Carolina, who was my coach at United Way Worldwide, and we still keep in touch uh, every couple of weeks. He again taught me uh, the value. There's a great book I'd recommend called Awareness that is a, a phenomenal read about, um, you know, being awake and being conscious as, and uh, um, just, uh, you know, being uh, in the moment. I think it's been really, really helpful from a resilience perspective, especially given how hard this last couple of years has been yeah. on, all, on all of us. True. Um, is there an outside of Clayton, is there an organization that you really admire the work that they're doing? Yeah, world. I think it's World Kitchen. Um, uh, Jose Andres, um, you know, I think his ability to step up in a disaster zone or, um, uh, you know, I, I really admire him and, and what he's been able to do. Um, 
there are other organizations in town here that I think are that are that are pretty pretty special. You mentioned Denver Scholarship Foundation. What Lori is doing, I think, is is a good a good example. I think. Oh. Uh, uh, I love what Scott's doing over at the Colorado Succeeds. I, I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Ethan Hemming over at Warren Village. Another, you know, I just left their board. Uh, he's he's someone. If you're thinking about a great interview, he'd be someone awesome to talk to. And awesome. then, uh, yeah. So there's and there's lots of really great creative leaders. I think that are in Denver and in the community. I I will finish by saying that my optimist, and I believe that uh, people generally are good, and that. Uh, people really do want to figure out how to come together and solve problems. And I think it's frustrating a time of division that is surface level trivial at best uh, that we're not, you know, we're not going to that human nature of leaning in together and saying we can make the world a better place if yeah. we just kind of drop some of these artificial differences, which I, you know, I think are uh, consuming us a bit more than they should. Hundred percent, and and I'm with you. I'm an optimist, and um, you know we talk about Colorado ranking 39th in, in this or in the lower percent in that, but we have such a vibrant nonprofit mm-hmm. community and great organizations like Clayton that it does make me feel like you know we do have the power to overcome some of these obstacles. My last one for you: if people want to learn more, volunteer, donate, support. Uh, Clayton Early Learning, what's the best way to find you? Yeah, I think the best way is that uh, we have our December 5th Colorado Gives Day. So, uh, you know, ClaytonEarlyLearning.org, or you can, if you're on the Colorado Gives Day, uh, you can just simply search for Clayton Early Learning, and, and we've come up under our Futures Grow Here campaign. So it's easy enough to find us. And obviously, I'm easily Googleable, and uh, I'm happy to take uh, you know people on tours of the campus and show them the magic that's happening here so firsthand if necessary. Well, I will take you up on that for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but William, thanks so much. I can't wait to see uh, what what transpires here in the near future under your leadership and long term. And no, thank uh, you, Jay. keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Jay. Thanks for listening. And thanks to William for the transformational work he and his team are doing at Clayton Early Learning. This podcast was brought to you by JC Charity and Event Services. If you're interested in how I might be able to help bolster your efforts or help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about Clayton Early Learning and how you can support or volunteer to advance its efforts to provide hope for a better future, visit claytonearlylearning.org. Check the show notes for links. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.